Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham continues his interviewing series with the return guest, the artist Flame. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Goodham, and the hope is that Pastor Brett Bowe will be joining us in a little bit. But for the time being, I have a very special guest, uh, a returning guest uh, to the podcast. Uh, Flame, why don't you say hi? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Glad to be here. Yes. Yeah, you are still the most famous Lutheran rapper that we've ever had on the Being Lutheran podcast. <laughs> I'm honored, man. I'm honored to hold the title. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think you're the first returning guest. Oh wow! Okay, I'm in the books. Yeah, there you go. You're you're setting records left and right. I love it. Um, we interviewed you. Uh, a little more than a year ago, right after you released Extra Notes. Yes, I recall. I do. Yeah. And 2020 was a very busy year for you. Yikes, it was. <laughs> you released <Yeah>. four albums. <laughs> um, and in doing so, you, you touched on subjects I don't think many artists would imagine touching on one of these are. Uh, you know, subjects, and you managed to hit all the high notes of changing from Calvinism to Lutheranism, uh, of talking about race, race relations and racial justice, uh, and then you had an album talking about Holy Communion, you know, which is kind of normal progression for most artists anyway, uh, and then to top it all off, you had a Christmas album. <laughs> just a little cherry on top, you know, yeah. just smooth things over, just to smooth things over, you know. Yeah, it's fantastic. I I love it. Uh, I will say, and this isn't just pandering. It's pandering a little bit, but it's not just pandering. Um, I love Daybreak. Wow, thank it's, you. Uh, legitimately set my sails as one of my favorite songs. Wow. wow. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the tracks on Daybreak, but especially set my my sails. Uh, I think how I classify it is um, appropriately provocative. Mm, I like that. You know, it's good. Uh, every time I listen through it from beginning to end, I mm -hmm. I'm thinking about something else, and I like that. Wow, that's encouraging to hear. Thank you. Wow. So, kind of as we set this off, this first segment, we're going to be talking all about your EP day Daybreak. And, and we get kind of this special privilege that most people don't take the time to do. Everything you talked about on Daybreak is now a year old, right? The yeah. George Floyd uh, tragedy is a year old, and, and Breonna Taylor, we're past a year on Breonna Taylor, too. Mm -hmm. So rather than being in the moment uh, like most people are on social media, what would you say, how have your thoughts on, on racism or on police brutality or on critical race theory or all of these hot button issues that have risen that we weren't talking about until a year ago, how have those thoughts developed or changed or advanced in the last year for you? Yeah. So um, when I think about all those varying issues uh, and just kind of how they've settled in on my heart since about a year ago or more, um, by and large, I would still hold some of the same 
sentiments and takes. Uh, I also would add uh, that in some of my assessment and conclusions, I now see that a lot of the weight in terms of how to work through these things, um, in one sense, as an African-American, I can appreciate a lot of the work and sort of the onus being on the African-American community to do things sort of in-house. Um, so that's one thing that's probably an idea that's developed, uh, which I think is very healthy. Um, so I can explain that later. But then another aspect would be, I think that um, the church in general has expressed a little more honesty and openness to seeing things more plainly um, in a healthy way that I can appreciate. So I think that's allowed the conversation to expand. And for that, I'm grateful. And I don't think that there's per se an answer for these varying issues, but I like that we're okay with nuance a bit more in about a year's time. And we're all sort of trying to work together as a body. And I like that as well. So that's kind of the, you know, the long and short of it. Good. So would you say that maybe a lot of what the church needed to do last year was we needed to take time to learn how to listen? For sure. I would say so. I would say so because I, one of the comments that I'm getting is daybreak really helped expose some, um, I guess you would call it Christian nationalism, or if you just want to call it nationalism, which was, it's just this, it was like this parallel ideology running alongside of Christianity that was difficult to discern if you were not looking for it. And I think a lot of people have admitted, you know what, I do see more clearly that perhaps by and large, to use some language from the Being Lutheran podcast, by and large, the generic American <laughs> church. <laughs> there we go. Uh, you know, <laughs> by and large, I think there was, um, you know, a sense in which we were more patriotic in our combination of politics and theology than the Bible gives room for. And that's allowed us, you know, the, the project has sort of exposed some of that and created a healthy environment to discuss those um, sort of blind spots, if you will. Well, that's a, that's a great answer. I love it. And, and thank you for highlighting my own personal quest to, uh, to rid all of us of the terminology of evangelicalism. <laughs> it's a it's an unhelpful term and and everyone yeah. kind of knows what it's talking about but that's why i go with the generic american church yes i love that yes i borrowed that so thank you good yeah you're welcome thank you uh, <laughs> let's start working through a little bit track by track on the message of this album and again we have the hindsight of a year now, uh, which a lot of people aren't taking to kind of ruminate on things, but you start the EP out with Set My Sails, which again, I think is the highlight of the entire EP. It's one of my favorite songs. Uh, and, and one of the opening line of Set My Sails uh, that, that really impacted me when I first heard this album was that you, you say, 
all of these things were happening in the world, and all the church could do was debate news. Yeah. Tell me, what is your mindset behind that lyric? Where, what are you thinking when you wrote that and when you, when you rap that and, and kind of when, you know, for who you are in writing that song, where are you coming from? For sure. So, you know, just to kind of give a little bit of the backdrop, there's a, a movie that's, I guess it's, it's relatively older. Um, it's called the Truman show. And, yep. uh, <laughs> and one of the, at the turning point of this movie where, you know, you have the main character, Jim Carrey, who realize, realizes he's in like an assimilated world that's been created, manufactured, and he didn't know he was a character in this world, that there was a plot um, outside of himself, and he wasn't aware that he was a part of someone else's idea, someone else's kind of concept of this world. And then he realizes, you know, at the turning point of the movie, and then um, he, he sets sails. He, he, he sets out to move away from this assimilated place for something real. And, um, you know, it's, it takes faith to do that, you know, to use that word, because you don't know what's out there, but you want out of this, 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 this place that isn't real. So when I saw the movie uh, Fresh, it just really kind of was a parallel to what I was experiencing within myself and just sort of this disillusionment with uh, maybe some Christian nationalist ideas that I had even bought into along the way, thinking that I was, you know, lockstep with good Christianity, not realizing part of it was, you know, good nationalism. And so in that particular lyric, you know, that's one of the things that I observed was there was a sense in which we had, and I say we just in general, there was a hardness of heart when we looked at the murder of George Floyd and, you know, the, the murder of Breonna Taylor. There was a sense in which we chose to um, go in a more academic route in discussing these matters rather than just feeling natural human angst, natural human responses to um, an unfortunate, you know, egregious act. And I was like, man, the, our, we broke in the direction of debate rather than to feel. And I just thought that that was an unfortunate reflex that needed to be addressed. Yeah, it, it kind of seems from my perspective that in, in our modern day society, and I, I think, it, I, I kind of use it as a ref, reflex, but I, I really believe it. What social media has done for us in the immediate reaction we're all capable of having publicly is it's moved the church beyond that command in Romans to weep with those who weep. Mm, beautiful. Yes. And, and, and like you said, we're, we're debating, we're trying to draw lines in the sand. We, we kind of gather in our tribes without ever feeling the impact of a tragedy or of an experience, right? Yes. Yes. Well said. Exactly. You know, and I think that doesn't allow us to feel the compassion Jesus saw and felt when he he saw the crowd, the Bible says, and was moved with compassion, you know, and yeah. if you if you lose that attribute that is like our Lord, everything is sort of worked out in your mind as an intellectual exercise. And, you know, you can't appropriately serve or love your neighbor when you have them in a category of, you know, an ideology. You can't see them as human, as real, 
as a sufferer. Exactly. Good. The The next line I wanted to talk about in Set My Sales, and this is one I hadn't caught right away, but it, it's been jumping out at me when I re-listen to the song. You ask kind of a rhetorical question towards the end of the song. It says, what does it mean to be Christian? Just focus on po- personal piety. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, there, there's so much effort and energy. So for me, coming out of the and I want to be careful when I say this, uh, the Reformed Baptist side of things. And, you know, obviously I love my brothers and sisters in that space. And, um, but, you know, with the particular brand of sanctification that's endorsed there, I think that becomes the priority. The priority in a Christian life is maintaining uh, affections and maintaining such a you know, pure motivation to do all things to God's glory. And you sort of lock in on that goal and Christianity becomes that to just grow closer and closer and deeper and deeper to God. And it's this, it's this very vertical up and down or top down experience that we have in that circle of doing Christianity. And it's not to say that there isn't a priority to, you know, share the faith and see people come to know Jesus but by and large, Christianity is more about personal piety, being a being a Christian that is loving God more. You're serving God with such a deep intensity for his glory, and it becomes very introverted. So when you see things in the social climate, again, it sort of doesn't allow you to feel because you're saying, well, long as my heart is right, long as I'm living out my faith, long as I'm a good person, then I'm right with God. And it doesn't really give you space in your own soul, um, as much space to really think deeply about what's going on in the world around you. Yeah, that, I think that's there's a detectable shift in American Christianity. And I'm not as much of a historian as I should be to know exactly when it happened but you detect this as the more and more we start talking about a personal faith, what mm. ends up being meant in America, at least, is it's a private, unique faith. And yes. the, the, the faith becomes entirely inwardly focused, like you said, on piety, and we lose a sense of the corporateness of the church. Beautiful. Yes. Yep. I would say so. And, you and you know, bearing one another's burdens, you know, uh, suffering with one another. Those concepts get a bit lost when you're just honing in on, I have to do better than last week. I have to do better than last year. I have to be more holy and less sinful than two months ago. And, you know, that type of intense focus on, you know, the interworkings of your soul and your heart. Yeah, just it sort of keeps you inside of yourself and in your own head. And that's where you you kind of name drop Bonhoeffer on this album. <laughs> and that's where the the concept of life together comes in, right? Yes. It's yes. It's, we, we kind of what what's so interesting to me about what's going on in American Christianity right now is you have individual congregations that are obsessed with creating community. Like if you look at the mission statement of any generic church out there, and especially kind of the non-denom community churches, they're Mm -hmm. all about creating a community 
without the recognition that the community already exists. Wow. And, wow. and I, you know, from a pastoral perspective, this is what, how I'm connecting to what you're saying and what you're assessing is kind of part of the bigger problem in the church today. Wow. I love that. Yeah. And I think, you know, not to show my hand, but I think that sort of gets into my, you know, EP Christ for you, which we'll discuss yeah. at another time, but for sure. <laughs> Spoiler yeah, alert, that's coming up next. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so second track on the EP is I'm On. And uh, what particularly stands out to me about this is, it's again, another line that you're, you're saying, it says, you can speak truth in the rat race. That's a line that I, I caught from this song. Now, my question to you is, that line, is that your purpose in recording this EP, or is there a deeper meaning you're shooting for as well? I would say so. I'm glad you pointed that line out because, you know, in my mind, the rat race is the debate of, you know, critical race theory or not, you know, um, Republican or Democrat. You know, it's just this rat race of ideas that we're trying to work out so finely before we can actually move in and serving our neighbor, even if we don't have a consensus as to, is this critical race theory or not? You know, am I standing for the right or the left? Before we even work those things out, are there practical things we can do um, as we work through those things? Are there ways we can serve our neighbor along the way without having all the answers? So when I think of the rat race, that's what that is. And when I talked about speaking truth in that rat race, I'm thinking about Christian nationalism. I'm thinking about um, believers who feel more affections for, you know, uh, America, the nation. And look, I love being here. I believe um, it's a it's a unique experience. Uh, but is it the only place God is concerned about? No. Is it the only style of government God is engaging his children in and working good in the world? No. Um, so I wanted to, you know, say, hey, for all of us who may be a little under the sway of championing, championing um, American heritage in history as if it's somehow unique to God's heart in a way um, that's special, let's relax that and talk about serving our neighbor, restraining evil in the world, bringing good to those around us as a representation of God's people so that we can reflect well upon the gospel, hoping that those people will be attracted to Jesus and his things. So that's kind of what I was trying to expose there with that line. Oh, that's great. Um, because we're running a little bit short on time and I want to get to the other three tracks on the album, we're going to have to move on from that, although that could be an entire podcast episode in itself. Yeah. Uh, you you hit a place near and dear to my heart by titling the next track Two Realms. Uh, mm. I love talking about Two Realms, and I'm sure, uh, as you mentioned in Extra Notes, Joel Bierman is kind of formative for you on this, as he was for me in, yeah. in learning about the doctrine. Um, how has the doctrine of the Two Realms influenced how you think about racial issues? Yes. Beautiful question. I love it because it was staple for me. I, I needed to find language to 
talk in, to think in within my own mind, to speak in as well to others about how to be a Christian and to give adequate attention to what's going on in a public square and mainstream society, while also having a category to share good news uh, of, of justification by faith. And the two realms was, you know, a set of teachings that allowed me to do that. It freed me up from having to be so focused on my internal personal piety, my sanctification, and it gave me the permission to experience a righteous divide within myself, whereby which I can give uh, adequate attention to what's going on with those who are, you know, suffering, the marginalized, those who are you know, literally dying under the knee of, you know, a corrupt man. Now I can speak to that um, just in a way that reflects God's heart that shows well on the church um, without having to be there to uh, proclaim the gospel in its didactic sense, because I can now relax that I'm also doing good there in a way that God smiles at. And I'm not being unfaithful, although I'm not mentioning the didactic New Testament breakdown of how to become a Christian, but I can really feel, man, I'm honoring the Lord and how I'm talking about these issues, engaging these issues. So that for me was just, my goodness, it was such freedom. And, and that's really what the doctrine of the two realms is all about is freedom uh, throughout the ages. And, and now even in America, we kind of get trapped into this line of thinking that, things have to work out a certain way in society to demonstrate that God is in charge. And mm. the reality of the situation, what, what the two realms teaches us is that God is in charge no matter what. Yes. And uh, I actually, uh, last year in 2020, I was preaching through the epistle lessons on the three-year lectionary. And, and okay. so right in the middle of September, Romans 13 came on. Wow. And, you know, uh, we're, we're in South Minneapolis here. I'm 10 blocks away from where the rioting after the George Floyd tragedy occurred. And I have never felt more tempted to skip a lesson than I did that Sunday. <laughs> uh, that, that was a little bit too relevant for me. Uh, yeah. But one of the conclusions I came to out of in kind of the theme of my sermon from that week that people don't understand is that even bad government is God's gift to us because he's in charge. Mm, you know, wow. and, and, and that's where your, your interaction with what you're talking about, Christian nationalism or, or some of these American patriotic Christianity type things is it doesn't have to be a certain way. Yeah. That, that God is in charge for Christians in Baghdad and God is in charge for Christians in Hong Kong, and God is in charge for Christians in Eastern Europe, but God is also in charge for Christians in America. Yeah. And, and the church has to be at a point where we can let our citizens live in society with that freedom so that we can love our neighbor. Yes, exactly. And, it, and it's okay. So even if you have a, a political position that, you know, on paper— doesn't allow you to feel compassion for a certain event. As a Christian, you can break out of that and contradict your own political party to show up for the right things and for the right reasons. You can you can have that nuance within yourself because of the teaching of 
the scriptures, a, but has, as they're discussed in the two realms. So you can be at a, at a protest, peacefully protesting against police brutality as uh, a Republican. You know, that is very possible for you to do as a Christian. And I love that freedom. You don't have to, you know, feel unfaithful to God for standing on the right side of a social issue if it contradicts your own political bent. And that's the freedom we have in, in the teaching of the two realms. And, and that makes for an excellent segue to my next question. And I'm going to try something here. I am not a radio producer, but I kind of play one on TV. Nice. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I'm going to play the first few lines from track four on Daybreak called The Truman Show. And then basically, I'm going to ask you to explain yourself, okay? So let's, do let, it. let's hope this works. All right. But that passage is a different nope. kind. Nope. <laughs> that hey, was the wrong prequel, track. A prequel. Prequel. Uh, <laughs> let's try this again. That was embarrassing. Here we go. There we go. I voted pro-life. I saluted to the flag. I listened to all your preachers, yeah. Bring them Christian morals back. All right, there we go. That's yeah. enough of a preview of that song. And I love that. Uh, like I said uh, at the beginning, uh, appropriately provocative, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. so tell me what you were thinking as you put that together for a song. Yeah, so, so when I wrote those lyrics, it was... You know, it was my own experience because um, I thought that there would be a consensus among all believers everywhere who either heard about the event, the unfortunate event, um, the killing of George Floyd, or saw the actual footage. I thought there would be a consensus that that was wrong. It was hard to watch. It was, um, you know, it was, it was, man, it was intense. But when I you know, would visit social media or people would respond online. And I, and I remember one thing in particular, there was a Christian gentleman who said, I understand the hoopla concerning George Floyd's death, but what about the store clerk who was given a counterfeit 20 by him? <laughs> that, that affects the local economy, that affects the family <laughs> or the store owner. And I said, man, your heart broke in that direction. Out yeah. of this event, that's what, you know, brought you to tears, so to speak. And um, and I thought those lyrics, you know, sometime after that, I said, man, here I was a part of this sort of ideology where we were doing the Christian thing by voting this way and standing for these issues. But when it came to these events with George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, um, it didn't seem to matter. It didn't pull any heartstrings. So that's where the disillusionment sort of set in. Oh, that's great. And, and you bring up these conflicting takes on what was going on. And, and, and maybe that should be heartbreaking enough since our default position uh, on the George Floyd situation was to have hot takes, right? Yeah. That's where yeah. we started. And that's tragic enough. But I'll tell you personally, this hits home for me as I was learning and growing in real time last summer, because my grandfather was a cop. 
and, and he's a particularly uh, decorated cop in North Dakota. Wow. And, uh, you know, my default position, having grown up around police officers and, 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 you know, being in that environment is I was never raised to be afraid of them. You know, I was always at home among them. Uh, I, I've always handled myself well when I get my speeding tickets and things like that. Yeah. But there was a lot of growing I needed to do out of this situation because my reflex in all of this is to defend police officers, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I know probably better than a lot of people the kind of crap they go through on a regular basis. Yeah. But But like you said, there's a very visceral image with what happened with George Floyd. Very rarely do we have such a public and publicly recorded crime just laid out before us, right? Yeah. And, and there was, a you know, in the midst of it, there was a lot of listening I needed to do because my shared experience is different than someone else's. Yeah. And yeah. my perspective is different than someone else's. And, you know, like what you said is your immediate reaction was to go to the counterfeit 20. And we're talking about human life here. And, and we're talking about human life apart from any other commentary on the crime or the medical condition or anything like that. Can we get back to a point where human life matters? Yes. Yes. Yep. So, yeah. Well the, the Truman Show when I first heard that, man, that smacked me upside the head. And it was good, man. so thank you. Um, <laughs> and honest, honestly, I mean, I'm confronting my own self in this project. So it's not to stand over people pointing my finger. Um, I'm right in the mix. I mean, I think I was a culprit for unhealthy ideas along the way as well. So, yeah, for sure. Good. Uh, I'm going to have one question, one last question on Truman Show, and then we're going to kind of just round things out before we jump to uh, Christ for You here. In the middle of the song, you kind of slip it in there, and if you're not paying attention, you don't notice it right away. I, I, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but you have this line that says, seminaries are not seeming to train these future ambassadors sending out pastors unprepared. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for 10 years now. Uh, one, you're right. We are unprepared to handle these issues. But what is your answer to that? What do you think yes. needs to be done? Yes. Great question. I think among many things, probably, I think one of the most healthy things that could take place is... Um, engaging people on these topics who think differently than we do. So I guess on a practical level, if seminaries can bring in speakers or have, you know, kind of like powwow sessions or anything like that, where, you know, you can have someone come in for a lecture or a discussion and we can regularly have these types of talks. So if we're talking immigration, why not bring in um, a man or a woman from the Latino, Latinx community to sort of share what it's like from their lived experience and or bring in an African-American woman or gentleman or an Asian male or female so we could talk about these issues and hear one another's side of things. And then we can work through them um, together, through the scriptures, through our lived and pragmatic experience. 
And I think that would help send students out into the, the ministry better informed from the academic environment. That's just one kind of practical thing I think we could all benefit from. I wish I would have been able to experience during my training as well. Great. I think that's very helpful. Uh, a focus on listening that leads to conversation is probably a valuable thing in any walk of life, but especially here. Mm, yes, yes. Because, you know, I feel like um, it would have been great to have heard about Lutheran thought at a Calvinistic institution from a Lutheran. Mm -hmm. bring, bring that guy in. Let him articulate Lutheran theology and let's engage him with his own terms, his own, you know, using the Book of Concord rather than some random quote from Google that's really not from Luther. <laughs> and the professor builds on that, you know? <laughs> That, that never happens online, right? Luther is never <laughs> attributed to something he didn't actually say. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> All right, final question for you. Uh, and it, it's a big question, but this is something I've wanted to bounce off you for a while because, you know, all I'm capable of in my situation is thinking of things pastorally in my vocation, right? I'm a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I'm a white pastor. Uh, mm -hmm. But... From your perspective, what would change or what would happen if the church primarily talked about racism and racial issues from the perspective of sin and especially of original sin instead of immediately moving to ideology or politics or something like that? Yes, great question. Tricky question, too, honestly, because... I think on one end, it would be healthy because we would have a, a central place to point to for the origin of this human frailty and this problem within our own selves. So I think it would give us common ground to think on as we consider what's happening in our world, what's broken about it. So that would actually be a benefit. Um, what makes it probably tricky is if if people keep it in the context of something spiritual they they can be tempted to ignore the practical outworkings of the concept of race in society so some could potentially think well we can pray it away uh, yeah. we can quote enough bible scriptures to sort of ignore it so you know, it could it could be a temptation to think it's just a spiritual issue that we can theologize it away. But I do think it's healthy to realize there's something broken in us that causes us to want to be around people that are like us, and then to use that collect that collective energy to take advantage of other people. And that's a fundamental broken thing in us. Men do it to women in society. We take our collective strength as men and we sometimes lord it over women in a workforce for whatever reason um, we do that with skin color and and other things as well so to realize this is a problem that we have in our souls that we need to realize we're we're equal underneath the curse that this world is under we're all fallen in adam and we all need christ to restore and to mend this disintegration in ourselves but at the same time we have to caution from 
thinking once we get that idea fixed in our minds that the problem goes away. So to sum up, and, and if, I'm, if I'm hearing you wrong, correct me here, but, but my understanding of that is what you're saying, if the church would talk about origin or talk about racism from the perspective of original sin, it, it's healthy in that it identifies the root cause of the problem, but there's also the danger of falling down the same path of those who would say, all we need to do here is just preach the gospel. Bingo. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good, good. So how we're going to round out this segment is I'm going to let you speak for yourself, but I'm going to do it uh, from the opening to the, uh, the final track on Daybreak, which is called Daybreak. And uh, I find, I, I don't know, you call spoken word or, or your, your kind of meditation at the beginning of this track, again, I think it's thought-provoking, and I think it makes for a great way to close. Awesome. So, so I will, again, this is Flame, not Flame Live, but Flame from the final track on his EP, Daybreak. To indicate that the church has no responsibility to take an active stand against social injustice is false doctrine. That's to promote a dead faith. People are saying, just give them the gospel or plans to go pass out tracks should not be the goal. James is critical of and in fact condemns the notion of just spreading orthodoxy when people have immediate earthly needs that must be met. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and without food and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, but don't give them what they need according to the body, then what good is that? What good does that do? If you're regularly saying, peace, peace, you're regularly saying, Lord, bring calm, that results in a return to the status quo. And Christians are vehemently standing against social injustice. And you invalidate it by calling it the false social gospel. That's demonic. But you know what else goes a long way? Is when you stand up and push back against friends, co-workers, family members who are on the wrong side of this issue. You know what doesn't feel like an act of love? Is when you do nothing. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.